Welcome to Inside Economics. I'm Mark Sandy, the Chief Economist of Moody's Analytics. And uh, today is Jobs Day uh, for the uh, month of August 2022. And we've got our normal crew here of uh, Moody's Analytics Economists. We've got uh, the, my co-hosts, uh, Ryan Sweet and uh, Chris Dorides. Hi, guys. Hey, Mark. Mark, where are you? Good to see you. I am in Boston. I'm uh, moving my daughter into an apartment. And uh, she's uh, starting graduate school on, um, well, next week sometime after Labor Day. So, uh, and right now my wife and daughter, well, let's not even go there. Uh, a lot of stuff going on here. Uh, well, I guess anyway. the, the most see, Wait, are you going to a Red Sox game? <laughs> oh, you know what? I didn't even think about that. I mean, I did, I'm like literally just around the corner from Fenway Park. I could go there and boo, you know, but, uh, I could do that. Where is she going to school, Mark? She's going to Boston U. She's um, uh, getting a, a master's in bioinformatics, uh, which is mm-hmm. kind of oh. interesting. Uh, yeah. That's where this alma mater. Yep. Oh, it is. Mm-hmm. You know, here's the weirdest thing. I had never run along the Charles River. Never. I've always really? wanted to do that. Yeah. And I did it yesterday. A gorgeous day here in Boston and ran, ran, ran along the Charles River. Really had a lot of fun. So felt my age, though, really, uh, all these young women passed right by me. And I'm going, what the hell? I can't I can't even hang. You know? Well, they're, so, they are in college, Mark. You know, but still, <laughs> you know, anyway. And I see Ryan's back. Ryan's. Oh, by the way, it's Marissa. Marissa, Dean Natale. Good. Good to have you on. Hi. You're one of the uh, key. Um, Contributors to Jobs Friday, and uh, I should just to round it all out. Uh, introduce Dante, Dante D'Antonio, D'Antonio. Sorry, Dante. Uh, good to see you. Good to see you, Mark. Yeah, very good. And we got Ryan back. Uh, Ryan was away for two weeks at the beach, and you definitely looked like you were on the beach. Ryan probably had looks like he had a great time. Yeah, we had a wonderful time. I'm jealous. Dante's still down there. Oh, is that right? Uh, is that right? <laughs> Yeah, live, where are you, Don? I know Ocean City, New Jersey. It was right down the street from Ryan. I see each other on the beach, make sandcastles together, and that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, our kids were playing together. Was, bonding. Yeah. Yep. Oh, really? Your kids were playing together? Oh, oh yeah. Cool. Me, you'll see the expense oh, report come through. Yeah, we were having a meeting on the beach. So. <laughs> <laughs> all, all fair. I, you know, I, I get you guys work all the time, so that's that's definitely fair. Uh, anyway. Um, okay, Jobs Friday. Um, uh, well, I'm really curious what people think, so uh, we'll dive right in. I've got a view, but uh, I won't. I won't tell you what that is uh, until you, you you give us a sense of the lay of the land here. So, uh, Ryan, I think you volunteered to give us uh, your first take on on the report. Uh, what's your What's your view on the on the numbers? All right. So overall, the economy created 315,000 jobs on net between July and August, a little bit better than what we and the consensus anticipated, but it's a step down from what we've seen over the last you know few months, um, uh, trend-wise. So basically, the takeaway is the Fed is getting what they want. They want job growth to slow. They want wage growth to slow, which we saw with average hourly earnings. Uh, they want the labor force to increase, which it did. And the reason the unemployment rate increased from 3.5% to 3.7% is that we got a pretty good increase in the labor force participation rate. Uh, 
my favorite indicator, the prime age employment to population ratio went from 80 to 80.3%. So that's another good indication. So all in all, I think it was a, it was a really good report. I mean, there's not a lot to, you know, you know, a lot of blemishes. I mean, people may point to the unemployment rate, but it rose for the right reason. More people came into the labor force. And if you look at the labor force flows data, the number of people that are going from out of the labor force to unemployed increased. So people are coming back in. I think that's a good indication. But I guess, you know, if you have to dig and, you know, try to knit and nitpick, uh, you know, the duration of unemployment increased. So there was more people that were unemployed, you know, five to 12 weeks or 12, 27 weeks and over. But again, that's kind of what the Fed wants. They want the you know, labor demand to soften and that's going to keep people uh, unemployed for a little bit longer. Uh, but uh, getting back to that 315,000, you know, the breadth of job growth was you know, still very, very strong. So all in all, I think it was a, a pretty good report. Yeah, let me ask you, um, and maybe this is not the best thing to do uh, right immediately, but getting down into the DNA of the numbers, uh, August tends to be a soft month, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look historically, um, the, the BLS generally comes out with a number for August that looks a little on the soft side. I can, I, in fact, I can remember, I think it was coming out of the financial crisis, and we were all, you know, waiting for the job numbers to improve, and they had been improving. And then, I think it was August of 2011, maybe yep. or 2010. No, it was August of 2010. We came in with the zero, actually zero jobs in that month, and everyone went into panic mode. But it just feels like every August we get surprised on the downside. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, you know, why why is that? And it didn't it didn't really seem to happen this month. Uh, or, or maybe it did. Maybe the numbers were actually stronger. I'm not sure. Well, that, yeah, that's a great point. I mean, the thing I was going to point out is that uh, over the last five years, the average revision between the government's first estimate and the third estimate. So just to be clear, our first look at employment, that number gets revised. So we know it's wrong. It's going to get revised a second time and a third time, and then eventually with the benchmark revisions. Uh, but that average revision between the first estimate and the third estimate for just August over the last five years is a positive 120,000. So odds are job growth this August is stronger than the 315,000 that we got got to see today. But August is always quirky. Uh, you know, usually it's safe to take the under on August employment uh, because of a low response rate. And I checked, and the response rate this August was actually the lowest since I think 2006. So it was a pretty low response rate. Uh, we were also going from uh, a July reference period that had five weeks between them to one that only had four. And usually when that happens, it biases job growth lower because you pull some of the jobs that would have been added in August into July. Uh, but so I think bottom line, I think you know if my gut is that you're going to see upper revisions to August over the next couple of months. Uh, hopefully that offsets some of uh, the downward revisions that we saw to the prior two months, which were 107,000. Great. Uh, and uh, uh, any, anything else you want to bring up before we get the, the rest of the gang's perspective on the numbers? No, I, I think we should let everybody else chime in. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, lots to digest. Uh, so uh, Dante, you want to go next? Uh, want to fill any gaps there in the, in the job numbers? I think you know, Ryan mentioned Ryan. participation. I think labor supply is the biggest 
you know, positive news out of the report, right? I mean, that had been the thing that we'd been sort of waiting for it to improve over the last six months that had been just sort of, you know, hanging there, not really doing a whole lot in a, in a positive way. And so we got a big increase in participation rates, you know, across lots of different demographic groups. You know, it certainly looks like people are, you know, coming back into the labor force more strongly than they had been over the last, you know, at least six months. Um, you know, and that, that should make the Fed feel better, right? That'll take some of the pressure off of wages, hopefully in the near term, um, you know, satisfy some of that outstanding labor demand. Um, so I think that, you know, the increases in labor supply and participation are you know, the biggest positive. I mean, the one thing I would add to Dante's right. comment is that what's driving job growth from a month to month basis is labor supply. The labor demand we saw in the job openings and labor turnover survey is still really, really strong. There's, I don't know how the exact number is. It's, Dante, is it more than 11 million or Mercedes? It's 11 million job openings, right? It's in that ballpark still. Right? 11.2, 11.3. So. Right. So there's and still- it's been there for a year, basically. You know, the labor demand hasn't changed. It's strong and it's been strong. Yeah. So mm-hmm. supply is the big issue. It actually improved in this. Yeah. Yeah. In July. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question on the labor supply since we're on it. If you look at uh, the growth in the labor force, so that's work that's a working age population times labor force participation. And so labor force can be affected by both, and and, and they, they it, both are lifting uh, labor force growth. So if you look at year over year. Um, well over 3 million people were added to the labor force. So you divide by 12, you know, that's not quite 300,000 per month, but that would be consistent. You know, if we were able to maintain that rate of labor force, that would be consistent with 300 K in in jobs and employment. So it feels like labor force has really come on here quite significantly. And that obviously is very important. No, I would agree. It's yeah. probably a function of a few things, you know, inflation, because, you know, that's adding a lot to uh, everyone's monthly costs uh, to purchase the same goods and services this year as they did last year. And within inflation, gasoline prices, I think the past increases may have pulled more people back in. Right. Because they, they, if they got to, they, they just don't have the income, the sort of lower income households just don't have the income to pay their gas you know, fill their gas tank and pay their rent and everything else. So they need to come, come back to work. That's what you're suggesting. Right. In the establishment survey, because there's, there's two surveys of employment, the establishment and the household In the establishment, you can have double counting. So Dante and I are double counted. So we are employed at Moody's, but we also work at a university. Uh, at, you know, we teach economics. So we're counted twice in the establishment survey. So there, there could be some multiple job holders in the establishment survey. Oh yeah, I never thought about that. Right? Yeah, you're you're uh, kind of sort of moonlighting, Dante more so than I am. Yeah. <laughs> oh, is that right? Yeah, Dante's te- teaching like two or three classes. Two, two now. Yeah. Is, is that right? I had no idea. Well, we we certainly need we need good professors at university, so uh, it's good that you're we also need that Dante in the office. He he leaves at like four o'clock on you know Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Hey, you're just making stuff up. You're, so, aren't you his boss, Ryan? Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that is true. Yeah. Yeah. This is the uh, <laughs> this is the annual review. Uh, yeah, this this is it right yeah, here. Annual review. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, uh, so Dante, from your perspective, any blemishes? I mean, Ryan had to go pretty deep to find the blemish. What was your blemish again? I can't remember. 
uh, oh, uh, duration of unemployed. Uh, that was that. That's going pretty down, down there to find a find a blemish. What about you, Dante? Any? any yeah, blemishes? I mean, mine mine's pretty nitpicky too. I think you know the diffusion index. So you know, looking at how broad job growth was was the lowest it's been since January 2021, and the second lowest since the pandemic started. You know, it's still over 62. You know, so 62 percent of industries adding to to jobs, um, but. It's definitely weakened over the last few months, and so it signals that you know job growth is not quite as broad as it's been recently. Right. Okay. Okay. But that's still pressing pretty hard to find a blemish, too, right? When you say, yeah, agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, next up, uh, Marissa. Wh- what do you think? Uh, what's your sense of the report? I th- I think it's good. I think um, I don't. Yeah, I don't really see blemishes in it. You know, I think the the increase in the labor force participation rate um, was quite large compared to, you know, what we've seen over the past year or so. Um, the, I was looking at the unemployment flows data, too. It seems like that is a, you know, a big part of the uptick in unemployment is just people coming into the labor force, coming back into the labor force more specifically to look for work. And a lot of those people found jobs too. I mean, actually the, the people coming out of the, from out of the labor force directly into a job was quite large as well. Um, it just looks a little softer, you know, the downward revisions, I guess, to July, the J- June and July data make everything look a touch softer, but Again, this is kind of what we've wanted. I mean, a, a gain of over 300,000 by normal standards is still quite a large month-on-month employment gain, right? We're just, we've gotten used to half a million jobs a month. Um, but yeah, I mean, the breadth of job growth, as Dante said, the diffusion index was down a little bit. But when you look at the detail across industries, it's, it's hard to find anything that looks really weak. Um, so I think it's good. I, I can't really find anything bad in it. Yeah. We're concerning. The, the, the flows, you know? Yeah. The flows data is pretty interesting. Uh, so you're able to see uh, you know, the folks exactly where their, uh, what, what their status is currently with regard to the labor market and, uh, and compare that to last month. And you're saying that uh, if you look at that data, uh, that, uh, we're seeing a lot of people that who who weren't in the labor force at all last month in the month of July are coming back, came back in the labor force in the month of August. And those folks who did, many of them went right to jobs. Mm-hmm. What, they didn't go to unemployed. They went right to jobs. That's right. I, I mean, one interesting thing, again, if we have to nitpick and find something negative is the number of people that stayed unemployed over the month rose. And that's consistent with um, what somebody said. I don't remember if it was Dante or, or Ryan, that the duration of unemployment has ticked up a little bit. People are seem to be staying unemployed for a little bit longer. So that does suggest maybe some, you know, uh, just a little bit more friction in the labor market, which, which again, is what we want, what the Fed wants. Um, so it's all... It's all good. It's just a touch softer, which I don't think is a bad thing. Right, right. Okay, good. Uh, so, and so, really, you had a nitpick too to find a blemish. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Chris, same with you. Uh, same kind of assessment as the uh, the rest of the gang. Yeah, you have to go deep, right, uh, to find anything that's really 
concerning. So if you look at some of the demographic cuts, right, you can you can find some blemishes, but they're not major. And that data does tend to be more volatile once you start to cut. So if you look at, uh, for example, less than high school educated individuals, their participation rate did fall a bit this month. But again, things move around there or uh, black men and women, same thing. But so maybe something you put on your radar screen, but not something that screams that there's a necessarily a problem right now. I think my biggest observation may be just the, uh, what Ryan said early on is that August data tends to be quirky. So I don't know that we want to read too much into anything, right? Things can may very well get revised. So want to take this uh, data certainly with a grain of salt. So overall, I think it's a good report, but you know, pay attention be aware that things might change. We saw that June got revised down by what, 100,000. So uh, there's potential here for things to move around as well. Oh, yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, uh, let me, sorry. Let me, sorry. Let me, yeah. Um, uh, okay. So, uh, I, I, you know, it's, it's hard to uh, disagree with anything you guys said. Uh, it, it felt like a great report. I'd say just a great report. I mean, job growth is, is moderating, but you know, that's the script we clearly need job growth to continue to, to moderate. And we'll come back to that in a minute of in the, when we start discussing what this all means for the conduct of monetary policy and what the Fed has in mind, but, you know, certainly moving in the right direction there. Um, and I, and maybe I'll, I'll just, before I go on, just ask, uh, maybe you, Ryan, what do you think underlying job growth is? And when I say underlying, abstracting from the vagaries of the data, abstracting from these measurement issues that we, you know, we get caught up in every month. You know, what do you think fundamentally job growth, monthly job growth is right now? Probably close to 400. Really? Wow. Well, no, I'd say lower. 350 yeah. to 400. I'd say lower. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know about that. What would that. you say, Chris? What would you say, Chris? I was, th- you know, I was thinking the two fifty to three hundred range. Yeah. But yeah. Like what the current well, trend is, or what is sustainable? Current trend, no, we're what, close to three fifty. Current trend, three fifty to four hundred. If you look at jobless claims, like that, that would argue that that three fifty to four hundred. Yeah, I think I think it, you know though I yeah that's true. Uh, that's true. I, I think if you look at like the six month average of monthly job growth, which is kind of sort of what I look at to, to get to underlying trend, feels like it's closer to 300K than 350. But okay, we're splitting hairs. Let's just say in the 300,000 range. Three to I don't know. Or maybe maybe to, to settle it, uh, Dante, uh, Marissa, do you have a view on kind of the underlying monthly job trend? I think I'm more in Ryan's camp than I am yours, Mark. Okay, you then think it's higher. Let's turn to Marissa. Let's turn to yeah, Marissa. Yeah, I would quickly. say about <laughs> Hopefully she agrees with you. Yeah, I, I think it's more like 300K. I mean, again, if you look okay. at jobless okay. claims, they're really they're really low, right? And and even they fell last week and they're kind of hovering in a very, very low range, which suggests there isn't there isn't job destruction really going on. I mean, over the last three months. The three-month moving yeah. average is three hundred seventy-eight thousand, and we know August is oh, going to get it? revised. August is going to get revised higher, so I think. Okay. Yeah, I mean, three, four hundred. Like I don't. I don't know where Chris's <laughs> right, pessimism so, came from. 
He said 250. Yeah, I'm, I'm banking on some revisions here mm. in the other direction. Can you actually okay. I, I, maybe could you, Ryan, explain why August is weird? Is it the is it the back to school seasonal stuff or, or, or what? Why is it always off in August? Yeah, so you have a, a bunch of quirks. You have, like you mentioned, the timing of when school years start across the country. Some start, you know, mid-August, late August, some start in September, and that can change from year to year. Uh, typically August has a low response rate. So the share of, you know, establishments that are surveyed that actually respond is pretty low. And that's mainly because of vacations and people forget, uh, that's, those are the key and it's just these seasonal adjustment issues with timing of layoffs around the summer, uh, you know, cause August peak summer season, except for Dante and I, you know, that's, that, that's the peak and, you know, you start to see layoffs and things like that but the timing can get thrown off from, from year to year. So there's always some little quirks with August. Some of it I can't okay, explain. So just, to, just, just, to, just to get a number out there, given my sense of the distribution of responses to that question, let's say 350. 350K is kind of underlying monthly job growth. And just for context, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm sure you will, if you go back, say, towards the beginning of this year, I, it was pretty clear the underlying rate of monthly job growth was north of 500K. Would you agree with that? Okay. So we've gone from 500K plus to say 350. And taking this one step further, what is, let's call it break even employment growth? You know, what monthly job growth would be consistent with stable unemployment? And Brian, I'll go back to you first. Do Do you have a view on that? Oh, this is a I think I just no, no, I was thinking. I, I thought I calculated this recently. It's I think it's closer to 150 to 200. Really? It's what? it's that high. So that's population. That you're saying population growth, right? That's the underlying. Yeah. That's the number you're talking. Maybe maybe that's the break because I did both. I did break even job. Maybe it's closer to 100, 100 to 150. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the simple rule of thumb I use is uh, labor force growth of 1%, let's say, and that's probably on the high side of what you can expect. So the labor force is 165 million. 1% of that's 1.65 million. So, you know, you divide by 12. I guess that's, you know, it's, it's in the ballpark of 100, 150K, somewhere in mm-hmm. there. That would be That would be consistent with that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so we were at 500 K plus we're now at 350 K and to get to something consistent with stable unemployment, it'd have to be something hundred, 150 K. Mm-hmm. Everyone kind of agree with that. Sure. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. Uh, just to, you know, complete the assessment of the August jobs numbers. Uh, you know, I, as I said, I agree with everything folks said, I guess, no one, I don't think anyone mentioned this, but the one blemish I saw was the decline in average weekly hours. They declined in the month by uh, 0.1, which, you know, not a lot, and that, that bounces around a lot. But, um, you know, that's that I, I guess is, uh, you know, is, is, is if you had to find a blemish, that would be the blemish. Uh, and, and maybe, did anyone mention wage growth? Ryan, did you mention wage growth? I mean, 
wage growth, I guess, is also kind of sort of a blemish in that, you know, it's moderating. It feels like it's moderating, but it's still well north of 5% year over year, which there's 5.2% year over year. 5.2. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So so that would not be consistent with the Fed's inflation target, right? Mm -mm. It's slower growth though. So, well, actually, I don't know. I, I mean, if you look at it, we uh, as wage growth as measured by average hourly earnings, which is what comes from this jobs mm-hmm. report, that's been hanging between five and five and a half percent since last fall. Really, yeah. Uh, yeah. quite stable. The growth rate's been quite stable. Uh, so, I guess good news that it's not accelerating. Uh, if you're looking at this from the prism of what it means for inflation, but. It, bad news in that a blemish in that it's not moderating more significantly. Yeah. So, I'd agree with uh, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. But other than that, I, I thought it was pretty good news. And, and here's the other kind of thing I'd say, I mean, broadly speaking from a, from a labor perspective, I mean, this is labor day weekend coming up here and just, you know, doing an assessment of the labor market more broadly uh, it, you know, it's good, right? I mean, lots, we've recovered all the jobs we lost during the pandemic recession and then some, uh, unemployment is low back, you know, pretty close to pre pandemic levels, employment, the population, another measure of, of, uh, of, uh, the, uh, slack and labor market is back to consistent with full employment. Um, you know, everything feels like from a labor market perspective, you know, pretty good uh, from if you're doing a broad assessment. Would anyone disagree with that kind of perspective? No, no, no. We just need okay. more labor supply. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. Uh, although on that front, um, if we're going to get more labor supply, it's got to it feels like it's got to come from working age populations, which means immigration, right? I mean, Correct. labor force participation is, it's down from pre-pandemic, but that would have been expected even if there was no pandemic, right? Because of the aging out of the workforce by the, by the baby boom generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. Um, let's, uh, before we turn to the question of what this means, all, what this all means for monetary policy in the, in the Fed, why don't we play, our, play the game, the statistics game? Is that okay with everybody? Everyone on board? Sounds good. Sure. I don't know who I'm going to go to first. Wait, Chris, uh, you have a cowbell? Game... Or do, you, do you need a cowbell? Always. All right. I don't have my cowbell, uh, unfortunately. You never I'll let do. you guys lead the way. <laughs> you can't leave yeah, home no, without yeah, it. Everyone... Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I've got a couple now. Uh, one in the office, one at home. So uh, I'm prepared. Um, okay, so the game. Uh, we each... Uh, put forward a statistic. Uh, the rest of the, the group tries to figure that out through questions and clues and deductive reasoning. The, the best statistic is one where uh, it's not too easy, uh, so we all get it quickly. Uh, one that's not too hard, where we never get it, and one that's apropos to the topic at hand or a recent uh, release. So, uh, okay, uh, who wants to go first? Mar- uh, Marissa, why don't you go first? Sure, okay. Ten point one percent, Brian. Why are you laughing? No, because I know what the first question Mark's going to ask is if the sign is correct. But when you when you go with ten point one percent, I think we're safe. 
All right. Is the sign correct? <laughs> oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Did it come out today? What would you say? 10.1%. And this is a statistic that I derived out of today's employment report. Okay, Ooh. so it doesn't, ah. it doesn't appear as 10.1% in the report oh, I because I want to make it a little challenging. You might have stolen um, my number. Is it a change? I didn't steal anything from you. No, it's a proportion, proportion? of something. Oh, yeah. 10.1%. Does it have to do with unemployment duration? No. No. Uh, is it, it's not remote work uh, related? No. Did you have to use the household survey or the establishment survey? <laughs> the or establishment both. survey. <laughs> it's, the, it's from the establishment survey. 10.1%. It's a ratio of something to something. It's in the establishment survey. Um, hmm. Hmm. Uh, this, this is good. This is a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Is this the share? Like, are you looking at like the share of job creation by a certain industry? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Now we can just start getting guessing. <laughs> just go down the list of industry. Leisure, Leisure hospitality. and hospitality. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Lowest that's what it is. Ever probably. That's right. So it's the proportion of the change in private sector employment um, made up by leisure hospitality last month. That was 10.1%. And that's the lowest that it's been. I mean, this has been around almost a third of jobs, right, on average since the start of the pandemic each month has come from leisure hospitality. So this is the lowest it's been in quite some time since the end of 2020. Well, that's a good one. Um, and the reason think, I uh, the reason I picked it is because <clears throat> because this has been such a contributor to job growth through mm -hmm. this entire recovery, right? Um, and it still added a lot of jobs last month. It was over thirty thousand jobs on net, but that isn't even statistically significant in the establishment survey, and that's really kind of the first time since the labor market has gotten going after the pandemic that leisure hospitality kind of uh, contributed a much lower than average share than it has been. So, you know, kind of going back to the diffusion index, index and the breadth of job growth and the labor supply question, this was one of the, this was maybe the poster child industry, right, for an industry that was hurting from a lack of labor um, and a lack of labor supply. Apparently, the people that entered the labor force last month didn't necessarily take leisure hospitality jobs. But, you know, this is kind of in the juggernaut of job growth um, through the pandemic. So it'll be interesting to see if this is just kind of a one month thing, because we know this is seasonal, right? Especially yeah. what Ryan was saying, the end of the summer and kind of summer type jobs coming off. Um, but it's I think it's some it bears watching. And leisure hospitality is still, the, the employment level is still below pre-pandemic. That's right. Uh, it's one of the been. only industries where that's the case still in the private sector. Yeah. So, so do you think this is the beginning of a slowdown or do you think a quirk? Or are we going to see don't know. a continuation I, of these? Yeah. I, I'm not, I don't know, right? Because I, I, I do think that unless we see sustained continued increases in the participation rate, 
then it could be a slowdown. I mean, eventually this, this industry is going to, with the unemployment rate so low, going to start run, running out of people to hire and with job openings so high. So we got a nice bump in the participation rate last month. So we just have to see if that's sustained. And if it is, then, you know, perhaps it can keep going at the rate it has been. But at some point, this is going to slow just because labor supply has been drawn down so much. Yeah, just from my own parochial perspective, I hope they're not stop, they're not finished hiring in the leisure and hospitality industry. Every hotel I go to, uh, it's you know, there's an issue like understaffed. Well, I won't even go there. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, and I feel so bad for the staff, right? Because you can tell they're really scrambling. And I'm actually at a, a hotel now that uh, people are great, but you can just tell they're stretched or you know, run into do the ballet, they're running mm-hmm. this over here, doing that over there. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're doing it, they're doing their best they can, but it, it feels pretty, pretty, like they're pretty stretched. It's going to be um, more uh, self-service, Mark. Yeah. You got to make, uh, yeah, make your own bed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah make your, your own bed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's already, you know, obviously happening to some degree. Right. Um, but uh, anyway, okay. So that was good. That was a good one, Marissa. Very good. Uh, and uh I shouldn't sound too surprised. You always come up with good statistics. That's uh, you're, you're maven. Not, not as good as Ryan, but you're, you're very good at this. Okay, Dante, you're up. What's your statistic? Uh, 77.2%. Everyone's going with percents. All right. Yeah. yeah. Is this... Uh, came out today? Obviously, impl- came out today. Came out today, yeah. yes. Did you have to derive this? I, I did not derive this. It's okay. a, as reported. Is it an employment population ratio of a particular group? It is not, no. Um, does it go back to your diffusion indices? No, it is a household survey, which I don't usually dive into, but it's oh, household, household survey. survey. Oh. Mm, interesting. A participation rate? It is a participation rate. For a cohort? cohort yes all right i'm just asking so that would be uh, people it, it, between the ages of 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 35 and 44 i got it oh chris chris, got it. chris oh, thinks he has this it. was chris one of my it. this was okay. one of my backups i thought you googled it uh, labor <laughs> nope no no hands on the keyboard 25 to 54 so year old women Labor force participation. Ooh. That's right. Prime age women. Oh. It is. It it eclipsed its pre-pandemic high, and it's actually the second highest reading ever. It's just shy of its high all time. Wow, that's a good one. Well, here this wow. is something that uh, we've talked about in the past, and that is the pandemic seemed to hit women harder than men, in part because. They work in industries that got hit hard during the pandemic, you know, healthcare and educational services and retailing and leisure and hospitality. But it feels like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like by this, by all these statistics, women have made it all the way back and then some, uh, that there's no real distinction between how men and women have done since the pandemic hit. Is that fair? Yeah, I think early on, right, it was the industry issue it was also the you know, child care school issue child early care. on in the pandemic. And that, you know, has mostly subsided at this point. And, you know, now if you look at participation for prime age men, it's been 
pretty flat to doing nothing and it's still below it's it's pre-pandemic level um and women are now back above so it's a good sign and I, and, I, and this is from my mind's eye, so I may have it wrong, but I, I think I'm right. I think women, female per, uh, unemployment is now lower than male unemployment. Does anyone know if I'm right or wrong? I, I think I saw that in the report. No? I, I don't okay. know for take, sure. Take yeah. A look. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mar- Marissa, do you have a sense of that? I mean, do you, would you say that women have made it, uh, uh, that, that their labor market status is no different than men at this point, you know, that they've fully recovered from the pandemic to the degree that men have? Yeah, I mean, I think the recovery has been stronger among women than it has been among men, but that's also because they got hit harder, right? Right. Um, So kind of like everything during the pandemic, the things that went down the fastest have kind of come up the fastest. And I think we started to see that last summer when kids started going back to school and normal school years started returning to in-person learning and vaccinations were widespread. So you had people start traveling again and getting out there. So you had a lot of the industries that women had been laid off and start to come roaring back. So yeah. And you're, and you're right. The unemployment rate for women is now below the unemployment below rate men. for men. Right. Mm-hmm. They got that right. It's 3.5% yeah. for women. 3.8% for men. Is that the first time since the pandemic hit that's been the case? That the female unemployment rate's been below the male? Uh, no, no. No. No, okay. Okay. Here's the other thing, Dante. Remember all that work we did early on uh, measuring labor force participation by different demographic? And we looked at the participation rate uh, of, uh, of parents, young parents, uh, male and female, and I correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I, I think and this goes to the point about childcare. We found that the uh, male participation rate uh, young of young parents fell just as much as or pretty close to that of women. Am I wrong or right? I, 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 as I recall, that was the case. I think it was more even than I think a lot of the you know sort of popular narrative was that it wasn't quite as. Yeah. Uh, a disparate outcome as you might think. Um, but I think when I haven't updated that data in a while, but I think last I had looked, you know, female you know, mothers had recovered pretty strongly. You know, they had gotten hit pretty hard, but they'd recovered pretty strongly uh, as of probably six months ago, the last time I looked at it, um, which signaled that, you know, I think a lot of the educational childcare impact had, you know, gotten much better as of earlier this year compared to, you know, 2021, certainly. Wasn't the okay. timing of that okay. also a bit different? Like, I, I think if I if I recall, I might be off Dante, but initially when the pandemic started, it was more women. It was more mothers that left the labor force or stayed home. And then you saw that sort of a delayed effect that happened either, it was either much later in 2020 or even 2021, where you started to see fathers leaving the labor force more, almost as if there was like a switch or trade-off. I think that's right. I think the immediate impact in you know April and May of 2020 yeah. was a much bigger impact to women, and then that recovered a bit, and then men started to come down a little bit, sort of later on. So yeah, it might have been some sort of switching effect or you know something else going on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, hey, uh, Chris, you're up. Uh, what's your statistic? Forty-eight uh, percent. And that comes from the job numbers, I assume. Nope. <laughs> Oh, okay. 
housing. Uh, okay, this not housing. It it's, it's not housing. Not housing. It is jobs related. It's a jolts. Oh, no. I think I know what no. it, it is. I think not. I know what it is. All right. I think I know what it is. It comes from the ISN man manufacturing survey. No nope. employment. Nope. Oh, Are we going conference board. Yes. It's not the, the labor market. Labor market differential was 38, right? That's you correct. Right? You are correct. Yeah. So that's not, not my number. Okay. It's related. It's close, very closely related to that number though. It's one no, of the it's components. Hard. Oh, so you're hard. saying this is from the conference board survey of consumer confidence. And they asked yeah. a lot of questions. So many of them labor market oriented. And this is coming from one of those questions. Yes. What that they ask. And so you didn't derive it. it What's that? It's, the, it's the share of the thing jobs are plentiful. You said it's a component yeah. of the differential. Yeah, correct. That's right. That's right. I'll give you a half. Oh, so what is I'll, I'll, get, I'll let you two share a cowbell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm still I'm still in the dust here. What what uh, catch me up? So what was that number? So 48 percent of respondents indicated that jobs are plentiful. Oh, and that's lower that's lower than that, it's been. I, yeah, and that's been trending that's down. down. Yeah. It was 55% at the start of the year and it's been going down throughout there, which I found interesting because we also had the jolts number come out this week, which as we mentioned earlier, actually ticked up there are 11.2 million job openings, right? And it's been high all year. It isn't as though it's been falling, uh, but the perception at least from consumers is that jobs aren't quite as plentiful as, as they may have been before. Yeah, jo- Joel's being job opening labor turnover survey, another BLS oh. survey that's lagged a month that gives, breaks things down in terms of job openings, hires, separations, layoffs, that kind of thing. Right. Um, okay, well, that, that's interesting. Uh, the one thing I did notice in the uh, open positions in the JOLTS numbers, the number of open, but you, you mentioned that it actually increased in the month of uh, July, the last data point. Yeah, it, uh, and I don't know if anyone else noticed it, but a, a large part of that increase was in financial services. It just felt weird that mm-hmm. that would be the case, hmm. right? Given all the layoffs going on in the mortgage industry, I, it just didn't feel right to me. So it felt like a data quirk. And, and I, you know, you might be asking why focus on that number because, and the answer is because the Fed is. I mean, the Fed is looking at those job opening numbers uh, as a gauge as to whether uh, the labor market is easing up enough to get wage growth down to something more consistent with their inflation target. And the Jolts number went in the wrong direction. They were ho- er- I think everyone, including us, was expecting the number of open positions to decline and actually re- rose. But it looked weird. Would you agree, to, uh, Ryan, mm-hmm. when, when yes. you looked at the data? Yeah, okay. All right. Okay. Uh, that was a good one. Um, uh, mixed it up a little bit. Ryan, what's your statistic? 0.2% month over month. And like Marissa, I, point. I had it's to, a dri- pers- you, you have to derive it. Yeah. So it's a oh, growth this, rate, this one's a month hard. on month growth rate mm-hmm. in something. Was hard, it out of the important. jobs report? It is correct. It's an important number, but it's hard. Huh? Mark, you've looked at it. Chris, Marissa, you, Dante, you've all looked okay. at it at some point. Oh, oh, interesting. And it's a month-to-month growth rate Correct. out of the household or employment survey? Uh, employment Ooh. survey. 
establishment. Oh, center. really? He had to. He had to stop. He had to, yeah, I had to think for a second. He had to oh. stop. Wow, I'm coming off two weird. weeks of vacation. All right. Yeah, but still. Yeah. Uh, is it like something Serena to do Williams. with earnings? Ooh, is yes. it earnings is uh, part of it? Part of part of. It. It. You said it was derived. Yeah, you have to calculate it. You have to calculate. It's not coming out of the report. You, not you, itself. you have nope. to construct it. It's a growth <laughs> rate in average hourly earnings of something. Am I right? Well, I'll give you a hint. Yes, you use average hour. Average hourly earnings is part. That's one. Then you need the second part. Oh, it, real, real, real growth or something? No. Hmm. Second huh. part. Uh, I'll give you a hint. What? It, okay. It provides some light into the discrepancy between GDP and G, GDI. Okay. GDP, gross domestic product, GDI, gross domestic income, both Correct. conceptually measuring the same thing, but GDI is on the income side of the account, GDP on the consumption, the expenditure side. Mm -hmm. So income, so it, personal income. You're getting there. You're working yourself. Are you thinking like employment and hourly earnings and coming up with like total, total wages uh, or something in one month? You're getting very, very close. <laughs> I, I oh, yeah, that's what it is. Mark's going to kick himself it, because he, he's already over so far today. It's like something to do with unit labor costs or no, you guys are so close. No. All right. All right. No, this is like the, this is like uh this is like uh the proxy for labor income. Very good. Or wages uh, salary. Income. Yep. Yeah. It's a labor yeah, income yeah, proxy. Yeah. It's average hour earnings times uh employment. Uh, hours worked. Or the work week, excuse me, the work week. Okay. So this closely tracks <clears throat> historically uh uh, per, uh, personal income for wages and salaries that feeds into GDI. So if you look at the growth in this proxy versus what actual personal income in wages and salaries is doing, would argue that the uh, data that's going into GDI is being grossly overstated. So before we were thinking the revisions were going to be GDP closer to GDI, oh, no. but it looks like it's going to be the other <laughs> way around. I'll send you the chart. It is, it's pretty oh, compelling. Oh, no. I don't want to I hear know, that I at didn't, all. Yeah, I didn't. I know you didn't want to hear that. So you're saying that if a I negative? if you take this proxy, if you take this proxy for uh, for wage and salary income, and you map that against GD gross domestic income GDI, it looks like the GDI is overstated, you know, compared to historical norms in, in that relationship. Yeah, I didn't go proxy to GDI. I went proxy to the input or the source data that goes into GDI, which is personal income, oh, I see. wages, and salaries. And they, they usually line up. I mean, they're always not perfect, but they're pretty darn close. Uh, and over the last couple of years, this proxy and the source data have really diverged. So, Interesting. We'll yeah, see. can you send that to me? I'm really curious about that. I was going to write it up for, yeah. the site, write it up for the site today, and I'll send you the chart. Yeah, very good. Okay. Okay. So what would GDI that, that go down to? I got to calculate that. That's oh, I gotta calculate. question number two. Yeah, I'm going to figure out what the revision would be. But right now, it looks like the, the gap is 4 to 5%. Can I just say oh. there's only a handful of people on the planet probably understand what the heck we're talking about. I mean... Yeah, we just so, lost half of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So just to make it concrete and clear, 
as everyone knows, GDP has declined in the last couple of quarters and set off this whole debate about are we in recession or not. And one argument against the idea that we are in recession is gross domestic income growth has been much stronger, GDI. And that goes back to the conceptually just measuring the same thing, output of all the things that we produce, but looking at different source data. And it, we, we've been thinking that the GDP number is going to be revised higher. Uh, but uh, uh, but uh, here, Ryan is uh, suggesting, based on this other data from the employment report, that maybe no GDI will revise lower. But having said that, you know, historically, the best measure of where the economy is and where things ultimately land in the data after all revision is a average of the GDP and the GDI. Right. So it feels likely that GDP might be revised up, GDI might be revised down. You just meet in the get, middle. You meet in the middle, which by the way, meeting in the middle would be zero, zero. you know, <laughs> at least in the first half of this year, you know, no growth, you know, no growth in, 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 in GDP. But if you've noticed the, the Fed has been putting greater emphasis on GDI, I had not noticed that. Mm-hmm. They in are the minutes, putting... Yeah, in the minutes, they have mentioned gross domestic income numerous times. Of course, the GDI would, well, I was going to say it's more consistent with the employment numbers, but now you're telling me no, it's not that. Really? Okay, send me the graph. I'm, I, I'm I will show you the graph. Yeah. Uh, Graphs don't lie. Reflect. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Until they do, but you know. Uh, <laughs> well, they get revised. Okay. <laughs> well, they get revised, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, let's, I'm not going to give my number because it's all, you took every single one of my numbers in this conversation. <laughs> I feel very inadequate, but uh, we've done enough of the game. We've got to move on. So uh, let's talk about what all this means for the Fed in monetary policy. And uh, Ryan, I've been going back to you first because you were away for a couple of these podcasts. So I'm putting the onus on you. What does this all mean for monetary policy? How is the Fed looking at this report, and what what does it mean for the conduct of policy going forward? Well, I think as we discussed earlier, this is what the Fed wants. I mean, they're they're seeing exactly what they were hoping for. But the August employment report, I don't think you know, uh, you know shifts the Fed either towards a fifty basis point rate hike in September or a seventy five basis point rate hike. I think we're still both are on the table. And what's going to make or break or ultimately factor into what the Fed Act will do will be the August consumer price index that we get in a couple of weeks. So uh, a lot of Fed officials have said the labor market data is not going to change their opinion. It's the inflation data. Uh, they downplayed the July consumer price index and the personal consumption expenditure deflator, basically two ways of measuring the prices that you and I are paying. Uh, but August should look really good. We should get a decline in the consumer price index. So uh, a number of regional Fed presidents have said that you know if we get you know another good data point on consumer prices that may justify going from 75 down to 50. So I don't think August employment report changes anything. I think it's still up in the air, uh, and that's what financial markets are saying. They're pricing in 60, 65 basis points of tightening in September, so they're kind of on the fence between 50 and 75. And did that change with today's numbers at all? A little bit, like you know, a small. Not really? No. Okay. I mean, at the end of the day, though, the Fed does want to see job growth continue to throttle back here, right? They want to get back to that break-even mm-hmm. job number we were talking about either earlier, consistent with stable unemployment, and we agree that that's 100 to 150K, somewhere in there. 
that's where they right. at the very minimum they got to we got to get there right yeah. do you think they would actually want to see it go below that you know something yes, closer for to zero time. for a while mm-hmm. yeah to help get inflation to ensure that inflation gets back down so basically you know their checklist is all right let's slow gdp growth which they can check that off slow job growth which they're in the process i mean they still have more work to do then they want wage growth to slow and that ultimately will feed into inflation uh uh, down the road. I mean, there's lags between each of these steps. So that's why, you know, the Fed's got to be careful not to go too slow or too fast. It's a very, very narrow path to what we call a soft landing, where the Fed achieves their objective of return, keeping the employment or the economy at full employment and returning inflation back to 2%. Right. Hey, Mercy, do you have anything to add on into this conversation on what this job number means for, for monetary policy, the conduct of policy? I think. Powell was pretty hawkish, right? And and kind of said, we're going to, we have to go hard and we can't let up. And I don't think this changes anything. This is still a strong jobs report. Mm-hmm. Um, and I agree, CPI is probably top of mind for them. Um, but I mean, even if we get an expected slowdown in CPI, I don't, I don't know that that necessarily means they don't go 75 basis points. I think they're they're worried about being uh, behind the curve here. And the odds are they go so, hard, harder. Yeah. So what would, I mean, given all the data we've gotten and what we're going to get before the September meeting, when they decide hmm. 50 or 75 basis points, and we, everyone knows the CPI is going to be uh, soft. I mean, we're going to get an all likelihood a negative CPI number because of the decline in gasoline prices and oil prices, what would it take for the Fed to do 50 then? I mean, these all these numbers we've gotten and are getting would suggest 50. You know, what what would it take to, for them to go 50 and not 75? I don't think there's any economic data besides the CPI, maybe UMish, but I think they got enough flack for overemphasizing that the first time that they're going to downplay that. It would be financial market conditions. If they continue to ease or improve, then I think the Fed, it's guaranteed they're going to go 75. But if they continue to, if they tighten and tighten enough, then maybe the Fed says, all right, job growth is slowing. We're moving in the right direction. Inflation is moving in the right direction. And financial market conditions are back to where we wanted them to be because, you know, they've improved since, you know, the Fed said that, you know, we have conditions where we want them to be. Uh, So I think that's watching financial markets is, is important. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the idea being that the, the link between what the Fed does and the economy runs through financial markets and financial conditions, stock prices, credit spreads in the bond market, mortgage rates, value of the dollar, those kinds of things. And you're saying, exactly. depending on how markets respond and react, will go a long way to determining whether they feel like they need to go 50 basis or 75. If financial conditions look tighter, meaning stock prices are down, credit spreads are wider, that makes it more likely they'll just go 50. But if the stock market is looking better, credit spreads are coming in, the value of the dollar is coming down, mortgage rates are coming down, then more likely they go 75. So they're going to calibrate 50, 75 based on those financial conditions, which again is the link between what they're doing and what is happening to the economy. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Chris, what do you think uh, this all means, the jobs number means for monetary policy? Uh, did we 
get it right? Are we missing anything? I think uh, I think you got it right. I think I agree with Ryan's uh, assessment here from the employment report today. I think they probably focus more on the wage component there. I mean, the em- employment is yeah, it's kind of where they want it to be. Uh, maybe even a little too strong relative to what they ideally would want, but w- certainly within the range. I think that 5.2% wage growth is still too high uh, for them. So, I mean, that certainly would, that would favor more of the 75 uh, basis point approach. But I, I think Ryan's right. It's really about at this point, given what's left in terms of the data reporting before the meeting, it's more about financial markets and maybe expectations more broadly. Uh, that's going to drive their 50 versus 75 decision. Um, based on what we have today, I think. Personally, I think they are going to favor the 75 still. Really? Why? Yeah. I think it, well, so you can look at this uh, labor report in kind of two ways. <laughs> you could say, oh, well, and it's right in the middle, right? It's right in that Goldilocks uh, position there. And you could say, oh, well, the labor market is still strong enough. I'm not really breaking the economy. I can afford to go a bit uh, harder or um, be hawkish here early on just to, really nail down the, the expectations, right? That's my interpretation. And still given that the wage growth is still too high, too hot uh, for what, they're, what they would like, uh, why not err on that uh, more aggressive side at this point? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess the other thing I throw out there that maybe they're focused on would be inflation expectations. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I think you're right, Chris. That w- at the moment, that would favor 75 over 50 because even after all that hawkish talk coming out of Jackson Hole, Powell's speech, and subsequent speeches by other Fed bank presidents, uh, they feel a little on the high side to me. I mean, if you look at one year, five year forwards, that's inflation. This coming out of the bond market, you know, tips, treasury inflation, protected securities, inflation swaps. So. It's inflation a year from now in the subsequent five-year period, which I think we've talked in the past is at least my favorite measure of expectations when it comes to trying to assess policy, monetary policy. I look today, it's at 2.7%. That's consumer price inflation. So that's obviously high, right? The top end of the Fed's target is probably two and a half on CPI, consumer price inflation. So, you know, despite it all, despite all that hawkish talk, it feels like it's still on the high side. So, yeah, I, I, since you're right, uh, that might be the case. Dante, any any perspective on this? Any disagreements with what we're saying uh, in in terms of what it means for policy, monetary policy? Yeah, I think I probably side a little bit more with Chris. I think you know the the jolts data popping up in July, even if it is a little bit quirky, certainly is probably unsettling that you know labor demand doesn't look like it's really come in much at all. And then on wage growth, yeah, I think the one, you know, the ECI is old at this point, but the last print you have from the ECI was actually an acceleration in growth in yeah. the second quarter, um, which you know, obviously is unsettling to them, you know, and they won't have the the third quarter data yet. Um, so I, I think the, the labor demand issue, you know, even though job growth seems like it's slowing, I think there's still enough signals out there that the job market is strong and, and running hotter than they want that, you know, could easily push them to 75 unless there's a, you know, much bigger than expected decline in CPI. Um, I think that's you know, the only thing that might save that. Yeah, ECI being the employment cost index, which is right. probably the broadest and most consistent measure of wage growth. It's just lag. We only have data through Q2 of 2022. But it, as you're right. pointing out, that was a little disquieting on the wage front uh, 
continued strong acceleration. Okay, uh, and uh, I, I think, Ryan, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in our baseline outlook, we do have 50 basis points at the September meeting and then two more quarter point rate hikes and the terminal rate, so kind of where the Fed ultimately lands uh, is 3.5%, and they keep the, the funds rate target there through uh, the spring of 24. Is that is that right? Do I have that yeah, that's right? Our, that's our current baseline, but I think we've got to make a decision this weekend if we're going 75 in September or 50. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll talk about that. Hey, uh, very quickly, uh, because I got to jump. Um, what's the probabilities of recession? So I'm going to go around the horn here and get your sense of it over the next uh, 12, 18 months. And uh, Marissa, what's your uh, assessment of the probability of recession over the next year or so? 49%. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Can I get a decimal Speaking point? Right on the line. Down from yeah. 50 last month. Ooh, that's progress. Uh, very good. Uh, and the your reason it came down a basis point? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I just think the mood. The, the data. Yeah. yeah, my mood. I, I don't. I, I'm. I'm less concerned about. Um, things seem to be heading in the right direction. I mean, yeah, the job market is is still too hot, and the Fed could put the kibosh on all of this. And, and that, that seems the most likely kind of path we go down if we do get a recession. But I don't know, external to that, I, I think things look pretty good. Okay, very good. And Dante, your probability? Marissa actually stole my answer. I would say just under 50%. I think I was probably 55% last oh, month. Geez. And it's come, it's come down a little bit. I think we're you know, on the, the right side of 50-50 now. Oh, cool. Very cool. So can we say 49? 49 works, yeah. Okay, good. Chris would, uh, Chris is definitely going to be higher than that. What's your <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. uh, probability? I'm sticking with 60. This doesn't, uh, 60, 6 zero. No six change. Zero. No change. Yeah, yeah. And Ryan? I'm down, I'm down closer to Chris now. I was at 65, but Ooh. now I'm at 60. Ah, now that is fascinating. Mm-hmm. That's six even zero. though... Oh. We had a Volcker moment with Powell. I think, you know, they're. Yeah, I I think they might they have a better chance of pulling it. Off. I don't think they're going to pull it off, but I think they have a little bit of a, of a better chance now. Well, that that's measurably better because you were like at sixty five, weren't you? I was you came from sixty five to yeah. You're sixty five, sixty. Chris is holding his his uh, number at sixty. I'm I'm still at forty five percent. I think I was a little higher than that. I think I would have said forty nine. 50, you know, maybe a few weeks ago, but I'm, I'm back down to 45. So feels like we're moving kind of in the more optimistic direction. It's hard to say we're optimistic, but moving in the right, uh, the right direction. Uh, all right. Well, very good. Well, let's, uh, that, uh, that we'll, we'll save those probabilities for posterity and we'll come back uh, to them and reevaluate next week. Uh, but anything else to add guys, before we call it a podcast, any other burning issues? Happy I hope Day. not because I got to go. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Happy Labor Day. Happy Labor Day, everybody. And we will talk to you next week. Uh, so with that, uh, we'll, we'll say goodbye. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>